The rivalry between Washington and Gonzaga has revamped in its recent years as Washington has gotten progressively better. This is the toughest game that Washington will have to date this year. This is Husky Hardcore presented by Sports Illustrated, Husky Maven. I'm Jake. And I'm Trevor. And we're like Chip and Dale. Uh, So you're either talking about the little chipmunks. Male strippers. The strippers. (laughs) That's one of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits uh, um, Chris with Farley. Chris Farley yes. and uh, oh, and the guy from Ghost. Oh yeah, uh, it is. Patrick uh, Swayze. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man, that was, you were really good. <laughs> Your dance moves were unbelievable. If you weren't so grotesquely obese, I'm definitely Chris Farley. <laughs> this is the Dad Bod Pod. <laughs> we are both definitely Chris Farley. <laughs> yeah. Trev, tough game coming up, bud. You know, we scared them last year, losing by one point in the closing seconds of that game. Um, Coach Hopkins really showed where this program was going. Washington fans, uh, in recent memory, have not beaten Gonzaga to the point where that rivalry was dead. Um, Washington wasn't was, playing Gonzaga yep. anymore. And it's back. You know, Washington had some really good games at the start of this year, uh, namely beating Baylor, and then they lost to a really a really good Tennessee team. Uh, and now they've played four games in a row where they've really had a chance to try to gel this offense in some get-right games against some opponents they, they should and did beat by close to 20 points. So, you know, this is the big test. A lot of Washington basketball fans do not like this Gonzaga basketball team. They don't like Mark Few. They don't like that Gonzaga owns this state. Washington State is in shambles. They have about 300 people at their games. Washington, even when they were good, were losing to Gonzaga. And it's... It's one of those games where if Washington really wants to be known as one of the perennial good teams in the NCAA and in the Pac-12, they have to get this monkey off their back. Yeah, and, and no better time to have that key win than right now against an in-state rival. You know, I, I, I feel like this is the time that Washington has to prove – to the world that we're back, we've arrived and we're back and, and, and we're, we're going to stay competing and winning Pac-12 championships. Put yourself in a situation to make a, a deep run into the tournament, you know, a Sweet 16 and the lead Eight. You know, everybody wants a Final Four, but it has to start from now. You know, you need to get these big-time wins and prove to the committee that that you're you're worth putting an at-large seed in if you don't win the Pac-12 championship. And this is a prime game to do that. What a statement this could be. They're young. They're talented. They have two former five-star guys coming out of high school, Jaden McDaniels, Nas Carter. Um, And they have the opportunity to host a top 10 basketball team at HeckEd who happens to be in their same state. What a statement that could be and putting the rest of college basketball on notice that Washington is back and that they're ready to compete at a high level. Yeah, there's no better statement than beating a top 10 team in your place, right? Yeah, the student section will be absolutely rocking. HeckEd will be sold out. 
It's on a Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon on ESPN two. This is the game where Washington can make a statement on national television. Um, that place is going to be absolutely insane. Dude, and hopefully this Husky team will be able to deliver. Do we need to win this game to make a statement on national television? Or can we lose by one again and still make a statement? Uh, you can't lose by one. Um, you did that last year. You showed that you could compete with them. It's time to show the world. If, if Washington is going to make a statement, it has to be in a win. Yeah. Because they already showed that they can compete with them last year with players like Matisse Thibault and Noah Dickerson. But now Hop has his guys, his system. He's got great recruits. This is the time where Washington actually has to win this statement game if they're going to make the next step yeah. as a program. Yeah, I totally agree. So do you feel like in these get-right games that the, the Washington offense has found the rhythm that we've been searching for? Or do you think that there's still a little bit something to be found? You know, that's a really good question because the offense looked really herky-jerky against some of the upper echelon teams that they've played, namely Baylor and Tennessee. They also struggled um, last week getting started, even trailing in the second half at one point. But I've seen them start to find the flow, and that really starts with Jaden McDaniels getting himself right and figuring out how to um, operate in this offensive system. Uh, Quade Green came off the bench today. Um, we're recording this when uh, it was about a halftime in the year. I had five assists. So they're starting to get right. They're playing with the rotations, trying to figure out how to get this offense to click. Again, it's going to start with Isaiah Stewart. It's going to start with Nas Carter. And as Jane McDaniels gets more comfortable in this system, that's a really good three-headed monster to score. Uh, Quade Green, if he can become that drive-and-dish guy that can hit an outside jumper, this team could be good. If you would have asked me last week how I felt, I would be pretty nervous going into this game because the offense hasn't looked great against inferior talent at some points. But I see that the rhythm is starting to get there. Uh, the big men are looking for McDaniels to drop the ball off to him for an easy lay-in. Um, Quad A is starting to really find his rhythm as a distributor. I think there's some really, really good things happening with this team. And Washington does have a chance to really find their rhythm and be able to score against this Gonzaga defense with their talented big men. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that that Washington quickly realized that the offense needs to go through Isaiah Stewart. You know, when, when guards are up top dribbling around, Stewart doesn't even see the ball in the possession. You don't really see good things happening from that offense. That offense needs to start its offense in the post and work its way out. And I think that they, they started doing that and they found success and, and they will continue success. I think so too. And Isaiah Stewart, um, I love, I love the way that he's progressing as a collegiate basketball player. Um, but in these big games, you've seen him when he gets the ball uh, go a little too fast to start a game and he's going to be going up against some really talented big men. So I think he's going yeah. to be excited to play. So my hope is he's able to take those deep breaths before he gets on the court and let the game come to him instead of forcing up some of those shots that he takes early in games. Because if he can uh, feed in, go out, he's going to eventually be able to get those guys in one-on-one -on -one situations. And he is really good at getting the, uh, getting the position that he wants. And once he gets in the rhythm, yeah. that happens. What do you think about the 2-3 zone 
against this Gonzaga offense? Do you think that this is going to be the toughest challenge they've had all year? And do you think that we can contain the Gonzaga offense to a lower total than they've scored all year? Well, if you look at when the 2-3 zone really got exposed, it was against teams that could shoot. Baylor shot the ball really efficiently in the first half, and they were getting open looks against Washington's 2-3 zone. Washington stayed in the 2-3 zone for a lot of that game, but of course you mentioned it earlier, or in in a in a earlier podcast episode, that they switched it up into man in really st- strategic times, uh, namely at the end of the game when Baylor had drawn up a play against the zone in the Tennessee game. They were still slow getting out to shooters. They were also slow on um, uh, when the ball was rotated around uh, leaving uh, offense uh, one man to beat, to get to the basket or wide open jumpers. Gonzaga doesn't necessarily shoot the ball super well. Um, They have a really European style of ball movement and player movement. And if the two, three zone is going to be slow, they're going to be able to exploit some of those spots if they're really, really soft at the high post, you can see Gonzaga having a big day out of their big guy, uh, their their guards. If they're able to pack it in and make some of their shooters prove that they can shoot, um, you can see some success. Um, but I see this game, if Washington can can get a few stops and get that offense rolling, you could see them winning in a high-scoring game. Yeah, and I think the I think the best thing that Washington has going for it against Gonzaga is the length of this defense. Having a bunch of guys with over seven foot wingspan in this two, three zone, being able to get hands up on shooters. And even more than a couple of times this year, I've seen guys block three point shots that you could tell guys are shooting like they would any other team, but the length of Washington has actually gotten home on those balls. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the length of this defense is really going to be a, a, a factor for Gonzaga's offense. Now, the one thing I am fearful of is the block-happy defense. And if Gonzaga, which has a bunch of really witty, you know, smart players, starts up-faking these guys and we start falling for those, we could, get our, we could see our young guys getting into foul trouble. And that's worst case scenario for this team. And that's when you're going to start to see Gonzaga pull away a little bit. Trev, give me a score for the game, bud. You know, this is the biggest game that Washington has played all year. I go back and forth on whether I think Washington's going to be able to find their offense enough to score with this team. I'm also worried that if the zone is slow, they're going to have to go to a man again. I hope I'm wrong. I still see this as a 10-point victory for the Zags somewhere around the lines of 65 to 75. Okay. And what about you? I am going to go a lot closer of a loss. I'm going to go with two point loss. I'm going to go with a, uh, <laughs> let's go 58, 56. The beauty of picking Washington to lose is if they win, we might be wrong, right. but we're still happy. We really want this team. We want this team to make the statement. Um, but until they show it, until they get this monkey off their back. Um, yeah, I just I'm I'm fearful of the young guys in a big time game, and and that's that's sure. why I'm picking Gonzaga to win. So Husky fans, we have a treat for you. We have Andy from the Score Zag Score podcast on. Enjoy. All right, Husky fans, on the line we have Andy Patton from Score Zag Score with us. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. 
So first of all, I want to talk to you about your last. It was well previously to tonight your last game that Michigan lost. Mm-hmm. What do you think was the major contrib- uh, contribute or contributor to losing to Michigan? Yeah, um, fatigue was a big part of it, um, and I I hate using that excuse because last year. You guys might remember Gonzaga beat Duke in the third game of the Maui Invitational. And a lot of Duke fans said, well, you know, Duke was fatigued, but every team was fatigued. It was the third game in three days for all of the teams. So for Gonzaga, they were a little beat up, but I think primarily Michigan had more, more athleticism than any team Gonzaga had faced. And obviously Oregon's an athletic team, but they don't have a lot of size and Michigan had Teske. I can't remember Teske's first name, but he's a seven foot guy, super athletic, and he just worked us. I think he had 19 and 15 and our big men just hadn't seen a guy like that very often. And so I think the combination of fatigue, we were only running seven guys because our backup power forward was hurt. Uh, and even we just weren't making shots. It credit to Michigan, obviously, they were clearly a team that didn't deserve to be unranked at the time of that game. They had just come off a big win against North Carolina. Uh, but when you, when you can't hit shots and when your big men are facing another big man who can actually like body them up a little bit for the first time all season, it's not a good recipe for success, and that's kind of what we saw in that game. Michigan went from unranked to, like, number five in the nation. Yeah, they? and they're going to drop back down, but no. – these non-conference games, how ex- how important are they to Gonzaga yeah, um, resume? It's, it's been a source of uh, Gonzaga's resume surrounding Gonzaga uh, for looking towards twenty Mark. years. You know, um, obviously with their conference schedule just never never being that strong at its strongest. You know, when St. Mary's is really good and BYU is really good, they still don't have very. You know, it's still nothing compared to even the Pac-12 or or the other Power Five conferences. You know, they play more consistent opponents week in and week out in January and February, and the Zags just don't get to do that. So for them, it's really crucial to get in a big tournament like they did this year. And then to try to get those those quality non-conference opponents, obviously getting North Carolina to come to Spokane in a few weeks is massive, not just for the school itself, but for them to actually be able to build a resume that can stand up if they do lose a game to a Pepperdine, you know, for example, or, or a team that they really don't have any business losing to if they kind of built up a couple of quality non-conference wins they're in much better shape we've seen with St. Mary's who has struggled to schedule high quality non-conference opponents they'll lose five games all season they'll lose three games to Gonzaga and they'll lose one non-conference game and then one other game and they won't make the tournament because they don't have any quality wins because the only quality team they play is Gonzaga and so the Zags have had to beat that rap a lot uh, and it's taken a long time. Obviously, teams don't really want to come and play you if they think you might beat them. <laughs> so they kind of hesitate to do that. And obviously, getting UW back on the schedule is big and getting Arizona for a home and home. And they had Creighton for a while. So these games are critical. They're absolutely imperative for Gonzaga to schedule them for starters and then to win all or very close to all of them is, is really important for them to get that high seed in the tournament. Well, and it kind of shows the longevity of what the Gonzaga program has done too, because you don't see power five schools like North Carolina, like Arizona, like Washington traveling to non power five schools. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. I mean, it, it, you don't see 
teams like that go to places like Gonzaga mm-hmm. because of the fear of losing right. on the road to somebody like uh, not like Gonzaga because obviously Gonzaga's been very mm-hmm. successful for a long time, but a non power five school. So right. it kind of it just shows how good Gonzaga's been and what people now think of Gonzaga. It 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 almost doesn't seem like Gonzaga is a non power five school now no. just because of the the success that they've had. Yeah, absolutely. There are sites that rank mid-major schools top 25, and they've just stopped ranking Gonzaga. They just don't even show up on the list because they're like, yeah, we don't count them. Now, what is Gonzaga's view of Washington? Because Washington really does not have a very positive view of Gonzaga. And I think it's because some of the uh, recent losses that Washington has suffered at the hands of the Zags. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think Gonzaga has exceptionally positive views either. It's a rivalry game. They want to keep it that way. Um, I think to compare it to like Washington State, for example, Washington State hated Gonzaga. They probably still do. Um, But Gonzaga, we didn't really think about them, which I think made them more irritated, uh, which I think is fair. Um, It was a, a regional rivalry. It should have been a really good rivalry. And when they had Clay Thompson, they beat us. But then I think they lost like eight in a row and Gonzaga just stopped playing the game because it wasn't really worth it. That is not how we feel about UW. Um, obviously, you guys could beat us any any year. I mean, it's, it could be this year. If not, it could be next year. Like, it hasn't happened yet, but I, I'm confident that it will very soon. Uh, and that's good. I, it, it's not a rivalry unless unless there's some some splitting of the of the wins and stuff. So I think that we obviously go into this game with a lot of fire. We want to win it every single time. The fan base is really, you know, there's a lot of passion about UW, which it's funny because Gonzaga fans don't have a football team. Uh, so a lot of a lot of my friends who went to Gonzaga are UW football fans, a ton of them, uh, because they grew up in Seattle. They went to Seattle Prep or they went to um, one of the other Jesuit high schools around here and they went to Gonzaga. So they just grew up UW football fans, but that doesn't mean they're fans of the basketball team. So it's it's a pretty unique vibe. I think uh, Gonzaga has tried to carve out rivalries as much as we can. We tried to have them with Washington State. It didn't work. We tried to have them with Arizona and then the one and one got canceled and then we tried to have them with Washington State, but we crushed them. So we kind of have St. Mary's, and now we kind of have UW. And I think we're, as a fan base, we're really trying to lean into it because we should be able to play this game every single year. And eventually it will start to be, you know, we'll win one, we'll lose one kind of thing. And so I think the fan base, no, nobody wants to admit that we want to lose, but eventually we know that that's what's going to happen and we're kind of ready for it to be that kind of, kind of rivalry. Well, and nothing's better than having – two in-state rivals that are both extremely competitive also yeah. you know duke and north carolina have done it for years i mean mm-hmm. they, they're right down the road from each other so for the state of washington basketball yeah. um I, I i think it's really important for this rival rivalry to succeed you know to to, to be an actual rivalry so mm-hmm. so everybody knows gillian tilly you know, he's been around for, and I made this joke on your podcast, but he's been around seems like 15 years. Mm-hmm. What is somebody on your team that most non-Gonzaga fans need to know about going into this game? Yeah, I think the, the top name would be Philip Petrusev. Um, he is a sophomore this year. He was a freshman last year who didn't play a ton of minutes. He actually played quite a bit in that Duke game, and he played a little bit in the non-conference because Tilly was hurt. But then when Tilly came back, he kind of disappeared on the bench. But he has emerged as the team's leading scorer. He's averaging 16.1 points a game. 
just a, a hair under nine rebounds a game, super efficient from the field. Uh, another in a long line of European big men at Gonzaga. Seems like they have two or three every single year. Uh, he's next, and it, he's already pretty high on NBA draft boards at this point. Um, Seven-footer, really good footwork. He can shoot a little bit, but most of his game is, is down low in the paint, but he's just he's good at drawing contact. He's good at hitting his free throws. So he'd be the, I think, most likely going to be the leading scorer in that game. He's led the team most of the season. Uh, Joel Iai is another one. He is a junior, but he's pretty much never played. He was buried on the bench for the last two years. He started his first game tonight, actually, in place of one of our fifth-year senior guards who's been struggling. And Ayayi is second on the team in rebounds as a six-foot-two point guard. <laughs> he's averaging 6.6 boards a game, four assists per game. I would be willing to bet wow. be willing to bet money, and I don't have a lot of it, but I'd be willing to bet that Ayayi will get a triple-double by the end of the year. He's just that kind of player. So those are the two guys that I think UW fans, if they don't know the name now, they'll probably know the name after the game because those two guys will definitely stand out. Yeah, and the player that I really like is Corey Kispert. Mm -hmm. That guy is an absolute beast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, I have to watch a lot of Gonzaga basketball because my in-laws are huge Gonzaga fans. Uh. So (laughs) I I, I know Corey Kispert really well, and and he is – to me, he's probably the player that I'm most fearful of going into this game. Yeah. He's an X factor, especially because he can shoot it from the outside. And obviously, uh, uh, you know, UW's known for that 2 3 zone. And if they're packing it in and Corey's not hitting his shots, that would be problematic for the Zags. But he shot really, really well in the Bahamas. And if he comes out shooting like that, I mean, I think he went six for seven in one of the games. If he shoots like that, it's going to be, it's going to be a problem for, for the Huskies. Yeah. They're what kind of defense does man. Gonzaga they, run? Mark Few has, has messed around with the zone a little bit, but uh, they, they run a lot of man. They do a lot of switching up top. Uh, they're pretty confident in their big man ability to, to rotate off and on, on guards if they need them to. But, yeah, you won't see a lot of zone, if at all. And then on the offensive side, it's kind of what's a motion offense, I guess. Um, they run a lot of high-low with their big men. That's been a staple of their offense for pretty much forever. That's – one of Killian Tilly's biggest strong suits is he's really good at getting the ball at the top of the key and feeding the big man down low. So they'll swing the ball around the top of the key to get the big man so he can kind of rotate position and get open down low. Obviously, that won't be as effective against his zone. They'll still try to run it. I remember seeing them trying to push the high-low against zone defenses, and it's not as effective. So we haven't seen a lot of zone this year, so I'm not sure because there's so much new personnel on this team. I'm not sure what exactly their zone offense is going to look like. They will probably do your pretty traditional, have a guy in the middle, have a guy, a runner down in the baseline type stuff, but we haven't seen much of it. So depending on your guys' defense, we'll kind of see what they look like. Okay, so uh, before we let you go, of course, yeah, we'd love um, to get a game prediction for, from you. It's probably going to be – it's going to be close. It's going to be one of the closest games that they've played all year, I think. But I'm kind of feeling like Gonzaga is going to build up a decent lead and try to hold on to it as long as possible. My prediction is something like the 81, 82 to 70, something in there, 10 to 12 point victory. Uh, that's, that's what I'm feeling anyway. So we'll see. Awesome. And um, why don't you let sure, people yeah, know I where they can find you and uh, your podcast. It's part of the big heads media network. It is available anywhere that you find podcasts. So Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, overcast wherever wherever you find them so you can also find my podcast on twitter at score if you want to follow along there 